guys, we're in the middle of a pandemic and these are trying times. It's hard on our mental health, our mental state. And this is why I love our sponsor today, BetterHelp. They're the largest online counseling platform worldwide. They change the way people get help with facing life's challenges by providing convenient, discreet, affordable access to licensed therapists. BetterHelp makes professional counseling available anytime, anywhere, through a computer, tablet, or smartphone. It's brilliant. Sign up today. Go to betterhelp.com backslash solving healthcare and get 10% off sign up fees. COVID has affected us all, and with all the negativity surrounding it, it's often hard to find the positive. One of the blessings it has given us is the opportunity to build an avenue for creating change, starting right here in our community. Discussing topics that affect us most, such as racism in healthcare, maintaining a positive mindset, creating change, the importance of advocacy, and the many lessons we have all learned from COVID. If you or your organization are interested in speaking engagements, send a message to quadcast99 at gmail.com, reach out on Facebook at Quadcast, or online at drquadjo.ca. Welcome to Solving Healthcare. I'm Quadjo Karamantang. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician here in Ottawa and the founder of Resource Optimization Network. We are on a mission to transform healthcare in Canada. I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators, patients, and their families because inefficiencies, overwork, and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. Welcome, Qualcast Nation. It's been a while since we've done a live episode, but listen, the time is ripe. There's a lot of dynamic things happening in the world of COVID, so we had to get the experts. We had to get the infectious disease specialists that you know are only the best. We got Sumar Chakrabarty. We got Monica Gandhi. They need no introduction. But so, number one, thank you for joining. Um, two, let's get some of the some of the housekeeping things out of the way. Healthcare providers, solving wellness, our latest initiative to try and reduce burnout within healthcare. We got online workouts, online yoga, cooking classes, nutrition tips, mindful meditation, an online community. We're at 200 members plus, and it's been great. It's been great to be able to connect together, tell our stories. And so sign up today. You're going to have the, the, the Julia, the lovely Julia will put the link below. And if you sign up for our newsletter, if you press NL into the chat box, you'll have a, a chance to get a free membership. You know what I'm saying? Free membership because, like, like, like we always say, we're trying to change the boogie over here on uh, solving healthcare, solving wellness. Set. Third thing, just want to give some props and some love. Julia Ajars will be fielding our questions so that we could uh, navigate through that. She's got a great website, a spoonful of science, getting notoriety, you know, all throughout the nation. So I just want to say a special thank you to Julia. And last but not least, Got to love your Solvent Healthcare merchandise. Go to solventhealthcare.ca. Look at this. Look at this. Fantabulousness. <laughs> oh, my gracious. Um, yes. So once again, Dr. Chakrabarty, Dr. Gandhi, welcome to the show. I am excited to be talking about all these things. And um, I, I think first we'll, we'll start with, um, with uh, Monica. And I think the easy one to get out of the way is this booster talk. A lot of people are wondering, what does this mean? You know, they're seeing this data coming out of Israel saying like, 
Is this is this vaccine actually working? Why are we needing a booster? Uh, who should get the booster? How many boosters are going to be in the future? What are your thoughts on 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 this topic? Well, you know, I when Biden actually announced that we should all get boosters, I was actually almost fell on the floor. I was really surprised um, because it just seemed like uh, the vaccines not only were working really well in terms of, you know, why you would develop a vaccine, because we've never developed a vaccine for rhinovirus or adenovirus or cold viruses. We, we developed it because of protecting against severe disease and they were working really well. And then also just, just the immune system, like you get T cells and you get B cells and then your antibodies will go down totally normal. But then the B cells are a blueprint to produce more antibodies. Um, and, and, and we already had data that biopsy people's lymph nodes and we got B cells if you're immunocompetent from the vaccines. So I was very surprised. And then, yeah, it was really Israel that kept on saying this. And I think there's like so many reasons that Israel is different than certainly Canada and us, but um, it's only the Pfizer vaccine. They did three weeks strictly between doses, which is not the best interval. Um, I think Pfizer actually, I was just thinking today that it needs to be refrigerated or I just hope it's not unstable at all because it's it's a little it needs to be kept more cold than Moderna. Then there's mixed populations. It was great at vaccinating, but then went down. I think it's 45th in the world now because mixed populations, lots of population, uh, many populations in the country haven't gotten vaccinated. Um, and then uh, they also define severe disease differently, apparently. So people can be at home and they still define that as severe disease. So there were so many things that are different about Israel that I felt like. Just like the FDA, I felt like we should be looking at all of the data, especially from your country. Yeah. So I was surprised. And I think selected populations, great, fine. Older people, of course, we we vaccinate a lot of older people, immunocompromised. But in a general way for everyone, I think that just kind of sowed distrust, like, oh, no, are we going to need boosters forever? It was really depressing. Yeah. yeah thanks for that. So, Suma, what, what were your thoughts in terms of, hearing uh, talks of, of booster and like who you think needs boosters, who you think doesn't need boosters uh, based on the data that we know today. Uh, you know, I, I agree with uh, Monica, what she was mentioning about, uh, you know, the actual science aspect of it. And I think that one thing that uh, I thought was interesting is just how the narrative kind of unfolded. I think that uh, I like the thing that just in, in talking to people in the public, people were always worried about something happening that was going to kind of pull the rug out from under us at the 11th hour. So like, you know, we had this amazing vaccine. Oh, uh, just kidding. It doesn't work. Something like that. Right. So, you know, we were hearing about uh, antibodies waning at six months and we we're all like, yeah, that's, we know that that happens. But then all of a sudden that kind of took a story that, oh, wait a minute, your antibodies are waning. And then that kind of morphed into this story that maybe the, the immunity is waning. And then we were, then we saw like the same uh, graph that we, we all saw this graph on Twitter where they kind of showed the efficacy after a certain amount of time against infection, against um, symptomatic COVID. And then the last part of it was severe disease and hospitalization. So our eyes all went to the right side. Oh, this is awesome. It's showing that uh, against severe disease, it still works. But then everybody focused on the left side and then this story kind of just spun. And as I was, was describing, I think that uh, Israel was like laxative for the world's pants. Like everybody just like shat their pants when they saw this and then- <laughs> <laughs> here. And I think that I agree that like um, uh, boosters 
might help in certain populations, or I guess technically it would be a third dose, right? Uh, like it's a oh, third yeah. dose okay. uh, in that series. But you know, for everybody, I agree. It 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 gives it just sows distrust, and I don't think we need it. Yeah. One other thing I want to say about Israel, though, yeah, I really thought about this a lot, that um, they had a 3.8 seroprevalence rate in uh, September. There was a study that was done. They had very low rates of natural immunity and other places like the UK and the US have much higher rates of natural immunity. And California has a lot because we had a terrible third surge uh, in the winter. And I'm wondering what also that mixture of natural and vaccine immunity yeah, is. Uh, and maybe you need three shots if you've never been exposed, like Australia and New Zealand. They're going to they're gonna take a while to get to immunity, right? Wow. There's a lot of good points here that I got to highlight. So one, on Monica's first point about like combating like uh, like your your general immune system. So it's not clear to me, and and don't let me put words in y'all's mouth, but because you have a delayed antibodies or low antibodies titers, for example, because you have memory B cells before, because you have T cells, it doesn't mean that you you cannot can combat uh, uh, severe disease. And in fact, I saw a paper, I can't remember where it was, but looking at even uh, SARS-CoV-1, that they had had memory T cell or the T cell response 17 years after the fact was present. So that was 2003 and then 2020, they found people still have memory T cells, yeah. Absolutely, so like no reason to think that that would would wane. Um, I think that needs to be highlighted. And then in terms of like, I just want to really um, highlight too that, that, you know, the people that were thinking about that third dose, it's those that might be immunocompromised, those that might have a dif- difficulty mounting an immune response or our elderly population. Like these are the folks that you're really thinking about it. Cause I, I have, you know, people our age coming up to me saying, do I need that third dose? And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a bit shocked at how, um, strong of a, of a, of a force this has become and saying, Hey, yeah, maybe I'm going to be seeking out my, my, my third dose. And some of people actually were telling me because of, I hate to say this, but like travel purposes because they were mixed, which is such, Oh my God. I, I mean, we haven't even mentioned the kind of global implications of not letting, not giving other people their first dose. Right? Uh, when we're talking about third doses here, I mean, I think the, the best way that someone put it to me is we want Americans not to get a cold, um, but we are going to not give out some of our dose, more of our doses that we promised to resource limited settings. Um, so that's, that, that kind of moral feeling, and I know that you guys have been thinking a lot about, um, is, is really difficult to contemplate. Yeah. And, and maybe even Suman commenting on like what, what, why it's important, like black and white, like why the rest of the world needing to be getting that first dose, not only for survival, but what are the other implications? Well, I mean, you know, uh, if, if you look, uh, obviously variants, uh, when they were kind of rapidly, we were still seeing them, obviously, but like getting the rest of the world under control is just going to, first of all, help people uh, in areas. I think it's hard for us to comprehend, even in places like Russia, where, you know, Sputnik kind of didn't, didn't kind of live up to what it was, but people, a thousand people are dying a day. I think the the issue for us is that you get those places, all the places in the world under control. It uh, helps humankind. It decreases ongoing replication 
transmission transmission slash the the um, uh, likelihood of a of another variant coming up. So I think that it just it's almost like how can I explain this? Being benevolent for the rest of the world actually also helps us too, right? Yeah, so, abandon the moral ethical argument if you want to do that, but it's, yeah. there's a public health argument for yeah, totally. giving doses to the world. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and uh, as you mentioned, Monica, this is what's hard to hear. Um, you know, this talk about third doses when we we could be globally improving the situation for all of us, not just ourselves. Um, and I can't, I'll be remiss to, to glaze over the point about Monica talking about natural immunity and its impact on waves. And there's been a lot of talk. I don't know if it's been Twitter. I, I've been, my head's been in the clouds a little bit here, but uh, like, there's a lot of question. people questioning, is natural immunity a thing? Is it going to be as strong as, uh, uh, as getting a vaccine? And I'm going to say this because I have to say this, even though it's common sense, by no means am I telling, by saying that natural immunity is strong, I'm telling people to go get COVID. I'm just saying those that have gotten it to acknowledge that what the risk factors of getting reinfected or uh, of getting severe disease. So um, maybe we'll start with Monica. What are your thoughts on the impact of having a natural uh, COVID infection and or duration of, of, of being safe? Yes, I mean, I think there's two ways to think about it. One is that your natural infection varied there's a whole bunch of natural infections, really mild, really severe. And I think that the reason that the data is mixed, because we can't say that the data isn't mixed. Some data shows that more reinfection after natural infection, more reinfection after vaccination is because the original infection is mixed. Like if you had a more severe infection, you're more likely to produce deep B cells and T cells. And if you had a very mild natural infection, maybe you need that vaccine. And then on the other hand, so is the data of vaccination mixed. Going back to Israel, if you give it every three weeks, you know, which like you guys really proved like that, that it, we needed longer time between doses, not like you proved it, like, frankly, that's a principle of vaccinology, but Canada really took it to heart. And also you were trying to save more lives, which was a great approach. Um, they, uh, they, you know, we, you now just like four days ago showed data from, I think uh, your national network showed that if you give it three weeks apart, like in healthcare workers, it was 82% effective. And then up to seven weeks apart, it was 92% effective. Already was 10% more effective than Pfizer. So Israel is like the wor worst of all uh, comparisons because they don't have a lot of natural infection. Maybe people who got naturally infected were sick. And then you give the vaccine in the worst way possible, which is three weeks apart. And so, of course, that one study that showed that you're much more protected after natural infection, like 27 times more uh, uh, protected against natural infection, was only from Israel. So we can't just look at that. It seems like it's back and forth, and it depends on your initial severity of infection and how the vaccine was administered. But of course, natural immunity is a thing. It's so silly to say it's not a thing that it's really irritating people. Mm. Any, uh, anything to add, Suma? Yeah, and, and again, so like I said, like this, the scientific aspect of it is way better than I ever could. And one thing I'll add to this is that, um, you know, uh, what I called the back in when, when Trump was president, the Trump effect or the anti-vax effect is that sometimes somebody will say something like that. And then if basically the other people just put a negative sign in front of it. So it's like, if Trump said something, then it's automatically wrong. If the anti-vax movement says natural immunity is good, then it's obviously bad. And I think that 
clearly that black and white thinking doesn't help. Okay. Of course, natural immunity, uh, let's, let's call it post-infectious immunity. Let's take away the, the lightning charge from the term, right? Post-infectious immunity is clearly a thing. And I think that uh, kind of uh, in line with what you were saying, Monica, is if we look at what's happening in Canada or in uh, Ontario right now, I don't have the full explanation, but what I wonder is that if you look at our network of population, especially in GTA, we got destroyed in wave one, two, and three, destroyed. And the people who are unvaccinated, a lot of them have the same overlapping risk as the people who had the risk of getting COVID for the, in the first place. So I suspect there's a significant amount of immunity. Um, there's going to be data coming, but uh, I suspect there's a significant amount of immunity in our unvaccinated populations in like the epicenter and that's part of the reason why we're seeing a bit of a have you seen our curve by the way monica it's crazy it's been like it's kind of like this we've been bouncing around our r has been bouncing around one for like several weeks now Mm -hmm. so i think that that's what's part of what's helping us yeah 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 this is a very good point because i mean one of the things that i and maybe i haven't seen this data and someone correct me if i'm wrong but i would love for us to do some seroprevalence stuff within <laughs> Ontario, man, like yeah. to really, and, and I think it's important for, for a couple of reasons. One, just uh, to get a sense of like, you know, how, how really hard hit we've been, uh, see how many, like, uh, you know, uh, just to get a sense of the asymptomatic uh, uh, spread that's happened or limited symptomatic spread, but also like to plan to, to like prognosticate. Like if you know <laughs> that a significant amount of your unvaccinated are, are are like immune i don't even know what to call it without being controversial i, I mean that are i've been that should, immunity I, is controversial yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, don't know. It be, I, don't. I, I once i said to myself t-cells are not republican so you know um but yeah go ahead that'd be a great t-shirt by the way yeah we'll put that on the list uh julia um but uh yeah it would be great like i think it would be so informative to know like especially in our unvaccinated population, what that what what the the uh, zero prevalence studies look like? Because I, I agree, I think this is what's been protecting us to a certain degree, Suman, from that fourth wave. Because I mean, you should. I mean, if you saw some of the projections for our, our fourth wave, there was one person that said we could, if we're not careful, we could get up to twenty thousand ICU admissions, which is un, either, I mean, unprecedented. But uh, I, I do think um, that has been a reason why we've uh, been okay during this wave. I think Delta killed places that had low natural immunity and low vaccination rates. The yeah. ultimate example is India, where it started. Um, and then it had a 4% vaccination rate. And now India's has an 18% uh, vaccination rate, but it's, it has very low cases because there's natural immunity there from this terrible Delta, but it didn't kill places that had a lot of high natural immunity and vaccination. So California went up, was better off than Missouri. Mm. Yeah. And, and then we we'll look even around the world, like Taiwan, Singapore, yes. Uh, yes. I mean, they, and they, they got under control, the, the whole whiplash thing, but like they, I think that uh, Australia and New Zealand are going to have, uh, they're going to have trouble with their exit waves. They'll get over it. It takes them a while. Yeah. to get get to get through this yeah i, I mean i'm not one to be get a little bit uh, on the cause controversy side but these covid zero people came strong yo like they came strong like on a political level and and like uh but like on social media they came that covid shield 
You know what I'm saying? They came hard. And I, I mean, I know personally they they came after you know you know me personally. I, I don't know if Suman you got that heat too, but holy cow. Um that's one thing that it's um, not realistic. Yeah. To do, and it and that actually can be dangerous in a way because you you're doing everything just about COVID and then so many other things fall by the wayside. Yeah, yeah. The um collateral damage. Yeah. So I think one of the uh, one of the things that uh, we'd be hard pressed not to mention then, like when it comes to uh, that, like natural immunity, um, is like mandates. Like one of the things that I think has been interesting is you know in most places in Canada now, if not everywhere, uh, there's there's vaccine mandates, like vaccine passports and certificates, and um, one of the things that I, I, I always found um, interesting is that we haven't considered their infection risk or the, if they've had an infection here. And, and I think throughout the country, Suman, what any thoughts about um, one, like the certificates in general and two, uh, whether you think immunity uh, passport versus vaccine passport should be a consideration. Uh, I think that uh, uh, this is my personal opinion uh, for me. Like, I think we know that in certain areas, mandates help to squeeze last couple of drops of juice out of the lemon, right? You, you do certainly see in most places when a mandate's put in place, you get this rush of um, uh, vaccines, people that have been holding out, like in France, we saw, we saw it. Uh, we didn't see it in Ontario, interestingly, but we saw it in a lot of other uh, provinces. So I guess with my thing is that uh, I like the idea if somebody, um, like, I, because I, I have a lot of these conversations at work, uh, as part of what I was doing uh, in the last uh, couple of months is that uh, many of the vaccine hesitant people, I found that in speaking with them and, um, uh, like uh, talking about their concerns in a non-judgmental way, I was able to persuade and persuade meaning in a good way to get the vaccine. There's ardent anti-vaxxers. Nobody's going to get to them. I get that. Uh, and a mandate just kind of makes the, makes them dig in reactants as, as we've heard this call. But I think the, the other thing is um, I agree with you on the immunity, the immunity certificate rather than vaccine, because places in Europe are doing that. And I do think that there are some people that say, look, I'm, I've already had vac- vaccination. Uh, I've already had COVID, sorry. And, I've, and I uh, want to get one dose, but they're telling me I have to get two. And there is actually evidence that you get robust protection, um, COVID, then one dose of vaccine. So they have a point. It's hard to argue against that. And then all of a sudden, the final thing I'll say is the optics of it is, uh, for example, nurses in the last year and a half, many of us have, you know, risked our lives uh, not knowing when we didn't have PPE, we didn't have vaccines, working in a hospital, giving our time away from our families. And then now a year and a half later, you're saying, okay, if you don't uh, get vaccinated, we're going to say you can't work here anymore. And it just, to me, I, it, 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 personally doesn't sit well. Uh, so that's why um, I have mixed feelings about it. I understand it needs to be done in certain situations, but it just doesn't sit right. Monica, anything? How, how are you feeling about this? Yeah, I agree with everything you said. And um, actually, I did write a paper on vaccine mandates, but I should have called it immunity mandates because I said it in the paper itself or in the piece itself at the bottom that let's consider it immunity mandates as opposed to vaccine mandates to enter. 
Um, I agree with you, though, that there is a reason to get one dose, especially if there's a lot of circulating virus. I mean, even a booster, like if you're surrounded by virus, then it's helpful to get a, uh, like if you're a respiratory tech or maybe an ICU physician um, that, and you're really intubating with people with COVID, like it, it, there is an advantage getting a booster and the same thing if you've had natural infection if you're surrounded by virus. But um, we've really caused some alienation by uh, this vaccine mandates, I should have said immunity mandates, because I think that they managed to figure it out in France and Israel and so many places, you just have documentation that you're immune. Yeah. You know, something to, to add to that, I, I keep hearing this excuse that, oh, you know, if we do that, it's going to be like a bureaucratic mess. Okay. Uh, but the thing is, you can, you can do it. You can, you can print out your... 2021. Your, I also keep thinking we're 2021 and we designed a really cool vaccine. <laughs> so it's not that like we can't figure out a, I don't know, a, like a app. I don't know. I'm sure we can. I gotta say too, on a personal level, um, along the lines of what Suman mentioned, when people come to me and that have been hesitant, there's a huge theme of already having COVID. That, like there's, there's a, like I, I personally haven't met too many like uh, like 5G people or whatever, like maybe online, but like I don't, having a, that one-on-one conversation with people, it's like I've had COVID um, or some people have had, um, uh, one person I think about had a poor reaction had COVID, got their first dose, had a poor reaction and was really scared of having uh, a, a second dose. And and yeah, like when we think about, you know, the dedication that a lot of the staff had and also the um, the, the the manpower issues that we're having within healthcare right now, um, I think a lot of it would be alleviated if you acknowledge that the, their initial infection. And because um, like the, most people, as usual are, are totally reasonable. Like everyone assumes that when you hear that conversation that they're hesitant, that it's like some extreme view. Uh, and the last thing I'll also say is like, at least in the hospitals that I work out, luckily this is an extreme minority, by the way, like uh, for us, it's like not like on a, on a percentage, it's from the docs, from the nurses, it's been unbelievable pickup for the reception for the vaccine. So I'm hoping that's a, the norm in a lot of places. But uh, yeah, I, Someone I just, estimated 96% of doctors have gotten the vaccine, which I use when I tell people like, if people are concerned about it being safe, they say, well, but this is so such a high percentage of doctors have gotten. It. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So one of the hottest topics du jour is vaccinating our five to 11 year olds. I, that was by far the most questions that we, that we were, were seeing when we reached out to the public and Quadcast nation saying like, what do you, what are you guys thinking about uh, in terms of uh, the five to 11 year olds? And um, maybe we'll start with Monica, like any consideration. So the, the, a lot of the questions were based on risk benefit ratio. Like, you know, knowing that the five to 11 year olds are low risk, Knowing that the we've evaluated roughly uh, eleven to twelve hundred uh, doses were given to f- that age bracket, is there maybe any initial thoughts when you when you think about that that demographic in terms of vaccinating them? 
You know, I, before without Delta, I actually thought we could get there without vaccinating them. Like we could protect the unvaccinated by vaccinating uh, everyone else, and especially not children who really have low risk of severe disease. But, and we live in a very different country than you do, but we didn't get the high rates of vaccination that we needed out of adults, um, way more, less than so many other uh, developed countries. And that means that vaccinating more and more people is a good thing. I also think that children grow up and I also think, uh, and they can get risk for severe disease later. And I also think um, that it prevents it protects others, it protects adults, it protects their grandparents. And so um, I think about the five mandated vaccines, uh, there's seven mandated vaccines in this country, pertussis, diphtheria, mumps, uh, measles, rubella, and then there's also pneumococcus and H flu. And pneumococcus and H flu are not really high risk for children, um, but they really brought down rates in adults when we gave children the pneumococcal vaccine. So of course, something has to be totally safe in this population to justify it, right? Because we're kind of saying children, you get vaccinated to protect others. It has to be really safe. And I think the safety of the vaccine depends on dose. And I also think it depends on spacing. And I was gratified that the FDA said, hey, we're seeing some 30 micrograms may have been a little too high for a 12 year old. So we're going to make this 10. And the FDA told Pfizer to do that. They told Pfizer to reduce the dose. They would, Pfizer, Pfizer was going to study uh, five, 10, and 20s in this younger. And then they were, yeah, and they were quietly told, um, you know what, let's just do, yeah, lower because we can't have any side effects. There, there really should be a very major risk versus benefit if you're going to ask essentially children to get vaccinated to protect others. So I will tell you that with, and I, I can just tell you as a personal thing, I have an 11 year old and I have a 13 year old. So I really have that decision in front of me. And I, I fortunately, am, um, it's just me making the decision. And I uh, vaccinated the 13-year-old, but I extended the interval between doses because I was looking at Canada <laughs> and I know vaccinology and I know it's more effective to extend, but I also saw more myocarditis in Israel. I saw it reported out of Israel. I keep on thinking, what's different about Israel? Three weeks. Um, and so I deliberately did that thinking it'd be more safe. And the 11-year-old, I will vaccinate with the 10, but I will extend duration between his doses. And my pediatrician has already said that she's going to tell all the, her parents that. So I, I think it's really fine, and they do grow up. That is, a, that is actually a point that, I, that, had never, that hadn't registered, actually, for me, was uh, the, the point about what's different about Israel and, and that interval. It's a very good. It's a very good I point. Keep on saying, I can't. It get is over a second it. dose. It, it, it really is that second dose. It, it like, is that second wow. dose in young males. In young males, and I have two males, and I I was not going to do what Israel did, and so I extended it. But it's also more effective. You guys prove that. You guys, I mean, you know how much I admire Canada for like extending the duration. It wasn't just that you did it. You saved more lives by giving out more first doses. Where, where, what are your thoughts, someone? You got, uh, what, how old's your youngest now? Four? Uh, yeah, so she's turning four. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually, I still have a year for that decision. So, oldest is turning four in December, youngest is two. Well, youngest is technically zero. We're going to be in uh, December. But, um, I, you know, I've been struggling. Okay, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's been a pandemic, right? And you're, yeah. the, you're, the, you're the father? 
we'll see. Uh, but, but you know, I think that I, I am really struggling with this. So first of all, I would say that whatever decision I haven't made one yet, I, I'm, I'm not steadfast in any way, but I am struggling with this. And I think that um, um, part of what uh, has kind of started me struggling on this is the fact that uh, I can already hear, I've heard our um, officer of health for the city talking about already mandating um, the vaccine. Like really, a couple of things that are concerning for me, exactly what Monica mentioned. Number one, you know, when you look at the um, vaccine, you want to look at for personal risk and for transmission risk, right? So the first one is for, for personal risk. Yeah, the, the kids, they I, I know what people say. I know in the, there were parts of the states that got pretty wrecked. But in Canada, we had a pretty, pretty, uh, we, we didn't get a lot of uh, severe cases. So then you have to have something that's extremely safe if you're going to use it for um, transmission. The question that I have, you know, are kids really all that epidemiologically um, significant for um, that way transmission? Of course, kids can transmit, but the overwhelming transmission happens to them as opposed to from them, right? Okay, fair enough. So, and then, then you talk about uh, the risk of COVID uh, causing myocarditis, and that's there too. So I think that the risk benefit is what I'm struggling with. And let's say Canada is different in this regard. Let's say if we get to a point where, um, you know, we have a very, very high amount of vaccine in, uh, immunity in the community, right? You're already seeing cases drop. Then I have less of uh, a... Um, desire to want to vaccinate the kids. I don't think you need to in that regard. Maybe you can, can you make it optional? Sure. But I think that this does, I think the regionality does matter here. What's happening in your situation. I think on Ontario, just pretend if this is how Ontario is going to be, we now have, you know, pretty low uh, transmission rate. We have pretty good immunity level. I can't see a reason to do it. Denmark didn't do it. Right. Um, so that's where I'm at. I'm still, my opinion is still evolving as more uh, evidence comes in. I mean, these are all great points. And I, um, yeah, for me, it's, I'm along the same lines. I got three, three boys and uh, it really, I, I do want to, I do want to see the number. Like part of my concern is, you know, when you have 1100 to 1200 kids evaluated, it's hard to really find that safety signal based on the the, the previous, you know, our, our previous rollout with the vaccine, like the VIT, we saw later on, not in the initial uh, studies, the myocarditis weren't, we didn't see in the initial studies. And in our, our current state in Ontario, I agree with Suman, like the, the kids are really low risk. And so I'm not saying no, I just, I, to me, it's like, I want to see more, my personal, my personal standpoint is I would want to see more data. Um, but this is, this is a tough one. It really is a tough one. And it's my, my fear based on the way we've uh, we've seen things is that it's going to be mandated. And, yeah. I, and if, if well, one thing, yeah, I would really like to mention one thing about that is we have done a lot with children in this pandemic to limit them as human beings um, and their usual childhoods uh, because of protecting adults um, or the concern about protecting adults, like closed schools for long periods of time and, have children in masks and anything that you do, there has to be a promise that we allow children to go back to uh, their normalcy. Cause it's really interesting. California is the most restrictive place uh, for children in the country. We've 50 out of 50 in terms of opening schools finally did it this year because the overwhelming effects of, of school closures were so obvious. And we've talked about this before on this call, but um there's no promise that anything's going to go back to normal uh, for children. 
after the governor said that he's going to mandate 12 to 15 olds to be vaccinated, there was no promise. But yes, then they don't have to wear masks. Like there seems to be like children are just curtailed at all points in this pandemic. Oh, my goodness. It's it's. I mean, just at a personal level, I'll just say my, especially my first two children, actually all three, when you saw the impact of them having to be not at school uh, and just the, that lack of, so, lack of social connection, all these things were directly impacted. It was heartbreaking. And to see their eyes and their, their smiles when they got to connect with their kids again was just so... It makes me well up a little bit thinking about how how meaningful it was. Second point I, I want to make in terms of, you know, when it, when it comes to like, if we're going to convince people, we do have to show them that their efforts are going to lead to something. Like I was, I was, I was um, on a call today and I was doing my walk-in call and I saw kids, high school kids that, by the way, the vaccination rates in Ontario for the 12 and ups are, is unbelievable, especially in my city, Ottawa. But they're playing football, not even soccer, sorry, with masks on. Like 16-year-old kids playing outside. Like outside. outside. You outside. know what I mean? I'm like, guys, like we got to adapt, yo. Like, you know, give the kids something. They've all stepped up. We've asked them to step up, and they did step up. And now you're still, they're still uh, having the high levels of restriction. And, you know, I... To me, it's a hard pill to swallow when um, they've all done. So many of them have done the right thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's a. It, I, Let alone the learning loss and oh uh, anyway, just like the the racial net and inequities in our country on learning loss. But you know, oh, we, yeah. we all feel the same way about schools. But man, the uh, I really like that uh, that point though. I don't know if I've I've really thought about that before. I, I don't know if it was on yours. Uh, radar Suman about the interval and the myocarditis. I was just thinking. No, I agree. It was, it was a really good point. And the, the question is, is that we really have to put that into context when, um, when interpreting all the data, right? I think it's it's very very important. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. But it's interesting. Monica mentioned something that it, it also resonates. This is something that is a principle of vaccinology, right? Like you know, I remember when we were talking about. Um, spreading the interval, you know, we were trying to yell, people yelling at, oh, you're half vaccinated, you're killing people. You know, I used to say, well, look at hepatitis A, the second dose can be given at six to 36 months, right? It's the way that B cells mature. But the the point is, is that these really kind of um, important um, bedrock principles were being thrown out the window. And, you know, like there is no vaccine in the world that you give three weeks apart. And I think that Moderna is actually working better than Pfizer for a couple of reasons. One is it's a higher dose, but I also think it's even four weeks is better than three weeks. Even that one week. Even one more week, because there is not a vaccine in the world that you give three weeks apart. So just because the clinical trials were rushed, which is understandable. They were going fast. They wanted to get this out. Doesn't mean you you can't think and say, okay, I'm gonna, but I'm going to advise for my country longer than three weeks. And that's why I mean, so many people asked the U.S. to do the same thing, and they didn't. Can I, can I just give a little plug? I, I know Bonnie's Henry's been under fire lately, but like, holy cow! Like, what a, a courageous play! Like, she was one of the at least from my viewpoint, saying like, I don't even know her, and I admire this person. Yeah, she's a BC. Yeah, she's a BC public health. Uh, like, yeah, the, I know. Every time you talk about her, I'm like, this is a reasonable human being. Oh, she's <laughs> fantastic. And, health and officer who thought she, about children, who thought about spaces. Yes, yeah. yes, and uh, 
just like she was a hardcore advocate about extending the doses uh, between uh, like the interval of doses, like well, one of the, the most um, vocal ones about it and, and was, um, you know, did it at the forefront. And, she and also, took she, you told me before that she understood outside is so much safer than inside. So yeah, yeah, anything absolutely. you do to close the outside is crazy and everything you want to do is encourage outside. Yeah. Virus. yeah. The most lot out of all of them, just the most like common sense, approach and uh she took a lot of heat as as, as you mentioned as someone was mentioning they're like oh you're gonna be killing people all the all this kind of uh attitude and she was she, queen b again she was like yes this is what you this is this is truth and uh and it's great to hear it and i just i would love to meet her one day just to give her a big hug because holy cow does she take sauce she man she gets it all all sides and i just admire her overall approach last thing before maybe taking a few questions was um how do you see this how do, how, how do we see this ending how do we see this playing out because like i'm gonna start with suma because like I, i'm gonna pick on our uh the situation in ontario because there was a lot of talk about us like like people there was a lot of project projections saying that we'd be worse than our third wave and <laughs> You know, we're. I'm not saying we're out of the woods yet. It's uh, you know October 14th. Who knows what the next? You know, what, I've learned not to predict things. Um, but uh, like, how do we? How do we see this ending? Like, or are we all constantly going to be in this state of like, you know, some form of restrictions? Where do you see this ha- playing out? Yeah, yeah, I agree with you that, uh, you know, first of all, the fourth wave for us, the the, the blunted uh, plateau was a very, very pleasant surprise. Uh, and, you know, I think it's important for us to try to understand, see what happened here. Um, I, th- I think that we I agree with uh, everyone. We have to be careful about, um, you know, premature, um, uh, premature um, celebrations because uh, the winter is coming up. So I think that, that that's a, a reasonable thing. My feeling is that, you know, with, um, with SARS one, uh, especially in Toronto, it was something that even though there wasn't a set end, there was a time where, look, we haven't had any cases in whatever it was, 14 days. We're done. We're ready. Although that it didn't, pan out the first time, the second time it did. But the point is then there was a party, there was that um, SARS stock or whatever. I think here it's not going to be, it's going to kind of um, whimper out in certain areas. And I think what uh, is important, it's not going to all happen at once in different parts of the world, right? It's going to kind of happen all over. So it's going to be a very kind of slow transition period. Uh, And I think people are going to still like, you know, when uh, there's going to be a day, it's it's hard to believe that mask mandates will probably drop in in Peel. Monica, we're in an area called Peel. Uh, I am. Uh, it's like the, one of the hardest hit areas in Canada. So peel the, the mask mandate will drop. And I think people will still wear masks. People are still going to be scared for a while. And then eventually it'll kind of just like I did with SARS. That's what I think. But it's going to be, it's not like a one event. It's going to be like a slow fade. How about you, Monica? What do you, what do you think? And like, you could speak locally if that's easier, just because that's a pretty broad question, but. Well, I mean, it's, it's an amazingly good question because People I can see in the chat are asking about Denmark. I mean, let's just admit it. So Denmark on September 10th dropped everything, dropped all restrictions. They had a 74% vaccination rate. They had some natural immunity. They didn't vaccinate children and they stopped. They stopped everything, masks, everything. And it's been now a month and change and they haven't seen increase in hospitalizations. Cases, if you swab, a lot of people will go up, but the the, um, hospitalizations have not gone up, deaths have not gone up. Looks like they're 
accepting where they are, which the accepting of endemicity. What does endemicity mean? It means that the COVID is, the virus is still around, but it's not causing severe illness. It's not causing a lot of hospitalizations. And you live with it. And I know someone's going to ask about molnupiravir and we can talk about that, but like you have a treatment, which is molnupiravir, which is going to come. You have vaccination, which I hope everyone will will get a lot more of in the United States. And, um, and you have prevention and treatment. And then it's like pertussis. It's whooping cough. It's called, it's under control. It has, whooping cough has azithromycin and then it has a vaccine. And then where will we see COVID? We'll see it in people who decline to vaccinate. So groups, you know, like communities that say there's, there'll be an outbreak here because they didn't vaccinate. And we'll see some breakthroughs and we'll, we may have a treatment now. And it's going to fizzle, like you said. And that's, it's, it's a country's decision to accept that it's going to still be with you, but that it's not causing a burden and that you can open and many countries, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, Portugal, Italy, I mean, are approaching that point. It's, I mean, I gotta say it's, I don't know where we are in the trajectory here, but it's, it's exciting to see uh, countries successfully so far moving forward. And yeah, uh, yeah, it just gives hope to everybody that all their efforts. Immunity uh, is the only way to get through a pandemic. I will never think that masking, distance and ventilation testing, contact tracing are anything but tools. Immunity is the way to get to normal life. That, that is very well put. That's a great way to frame it. Dr. Gandhi, wasn't it you that said that uh, uh, immunity will protect you better than a mask ever could? I, I like that line. <laughs> Anyone who says that a mask is better than a vaccine, I'm, I mean, not these vaccines. So, yeah, that's, vaccines. that really sucks. That's a stupid yeah. thing to say. No, uh, thank you. Vaccines are, I mean, immunity is what gets you to normal life. It's always gotten us back to normal life for any other, anything where you either have a vaccine for or the infection, unfortunately, in case of HIV, you know, of course, attacks your own immune system. But but otherwise, anything else, a vaccine, immunity has always gotten us back to normal. And yes, people can wear masks for the next two years. I mean, that's normal behavior. Like that's totally every, it's up to everyone. But a mandate can't be imposed. It has to be a personal choice. Agreed. Okay, so we're going to take the next 10 minutes to answer a few questions. Those that are just that have signed up late, you press NL into your chat box, you'll get uh, not only our newsletter, you'll get a uh, sent to you this episode, uh, the, the the podcast and the video and a chance to get a solving wellness membership. Check it. Okay, first question, I think that is Okay, and I'm going to start with, actually, I'm going to start with Monica on this one. Why are vaccinated college and university students not in class? Uh, It's not like, yeah, why are they not in class uh, despite, you know. uh, This really worries me, actually, in the sense that if you can't, if they, if there are universities, many have uh, that have mandated the vaccine. And so you essentially have a 99% vaccinated community. Uh, if you can't let them go back to normal, then where, what hope do we have for like entering normalcy? So Denmark has decided at 74%, 88% over 18 is vaccinated. Um, to go back to normal. And then these college campuses are not letting them unmask and they're doing a lot of asymptomatic testing and they're not in lecture halls and they can't even. So we have to, we have to model normalcy in highly vaccinated places. Do do, do you have a, do you have thoughts on maybe asymptomatic testing in that context or if you want to do or more broadly? I mean, 
actually the CDC does not even recommend fully vaccinated people who are feeling well to be um, tested. So I don't know what this asymptomatic screening is of fully vaccinated people is, but it may reveal a little bit of virus in your nose because you just killed it because you're super, you have a great immune system, you just killed it because you have a vaccine. And then it's in your nose and then you have to suddenly stay home for 14 days. It's very strange. So yeah, I mean, this is, this is, these college campuses are worrying. Agreed. I, th- I mean, just at a, at a high level, I just think it's- Young crazy. people have really been not, had the best time during this pandemic. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, Suman, uh, or you could defer this one. Yeah, do you have thoughts on uh, Molnupiravir? Mul- I can't say it. Thor's hammer? <laughs> Molnupiravir. I can't say it. Can you say it for me? Molnupiravir. Yeah, it's Molnupir- named after Mjolnir. Um, I actually used to read the Marvel stuff, uh, Thor's hammer. Anyway. Uh, I used to play um, sports. Yeah, like, uh, actually, I learned about this initially from Monica talking about, I think it was on Z dogs um, podcast and um, cool. What is this? Uh, there's one thing that I, I, I thought, first of all, I, um, uh, I hate when people start talking about game changes and stuff like that. I think it's a, it's a game helper, right? Um, you know, you have something that can be, it's oral. It can be used up. Uh, it's primarily uh, meant to be used for people who have been exposed for minor disease. You're trying to prevent hospitalization. I think that's awesome because, you know, we are using, for example, the um, monoclonals in this context, but it's difficult. You, you need infrastructure for infusion, which you don't need with uh, uh, monopiravir. Um, I saw one of my colleagues, Dr. Gerald Evans, he, he, uh, he was able to get his hands on some of the data and apparently, so they were, they were talking about the relative, risk of reduction relative risk reduction was something like 50 percent, but the absolute risk reduction was a lot smaller so it wasn't quite as um uh as uh big as it was initially uh, brought up but that said i mean you know if you have something that's relatively safe cheap which is going to be probably a problem but in an oral way that you can give uh prior to hospitalization i think it's something to look into and it could be could be a, a good game helper Monica, what do you think yeah, I mean, I'm more a little more excited about it than you are actually, only because I, as an HIV doctor, like I love the idea of a specific antiviral as opposed to like anything non-specific. So it's really specifically targeted. I mean, again, it was it's against RNA viruses, polymerases, and it's five days and it's outpatient and it's, um, you know, hopefully we'll keep people out of the hospital some and early. We just don't have an orally available treatment, and we've been going at this for 22 months and we don't we none of these other things worked so i'm a little more excited than you well I'm, uh, let's put it this way i'm excited I, it's kind of like a contained excitement but i love the idea of an easy to administer oral treatment that prevents hospitalization and also because you. it inhibits viral replication you can imagine that like someone has a breakthrough infection and they can't tra- then they won't be able to transmit if you treat them it's like you come in some someone comes in give them tamiflu if they have mild flu give them multi if they have mild COVID and send them on their way. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. This was a tough one. Uh, young babies around unvaccinated people. Is that a risk to that? I don't know how to answer. Is that a tough one? What do you guys think? We need a peds person here. I yeah, think that uh, we could skip you know, this for, one if you want. I, yeah, yeah, there's, there's, you there's, know what? Yeah, I Monica, do you? No, I was just saying there's such. I mean, you have tiny ones at home. They're such low risk, so I feel really comfortable around with the babies. I mean, we have to. But, yeah, my yeah. thing is, is I rejoice at day twenty nine of life. I did that for my first two kids because then if they get a fever, they don't need an LP. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yes, that's true. That's very fever good. on day twenty eight. Day twenty nine. You don't want okay. them to get any. Yeah, you don't want that. Yeah. yeah. 
It's another tough one. It's not really an ID. Well, it's kind of an ID question. The ethics of requiring visitors to hospital to be fully vaccinated. Do you guys have any, do you have uh, strong sentiments about this? Here's my thing. Do you mind if I start, Monica? Please. Yeah. So I think that uh, one thing that I think that we really need to, I get, we want to reduce transmission. No doubt about that. But like, we need to start employing, um, uh, we need to start employing rapid testing. I, I do think that uh, if you have somebody who's been rapid tested, you have to have an infrastructure for that. I get that. But the things, at, at least that's a provision for somebody to keep. We we did this for like a year in the in the pandemic, keeping people away from their family members. And it was awful. It was absolutely horrendous. And um, the other thing that, you know, the, the um, COVID vaccine is a medical intervention. It's not a club stamp. Right. So I just find that people are in a way treating it like that. Like, ah, keep those, those unvaccinated people away from me. I don't want them in here. Right. If this is about medical safety, a provision you can get that's reasonably effective is do a rapid test that day. If it's negative, that person could come in. Right. And wear a mask. And wear a mask. Of course. Yeah. 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 No, but I mean, that's so like, I totally agree. I think that was one of the worst things we did. I will just say in a personal way that I had a very close person to me die four months before the pandemic. And we were all in the room the entire time. This idea that we kept people from being able to be with someone who's dying in their family is just makes my mind explode, but we did do it. Wear a mask. Like there's ways to keep safe. Like we didn't have vaccines till recently. There are ways to keep everyone safe and you're right. Testing and masks. And so um, we should never have done this. Yeah. I, um, I've been, I've been quite vocal about this one. Like uh, yeah. as a palliative care doc and an ICU doc, yes. yeah, fuck that, yeah, yes. French, but yes. no, I'm, you know, I just there's some things we did in this pandemic that yeah. people didn't write us up. This yeah. and the schools. There's lines that are crossed, and I, I think as as Monica put it, we know how to protect ourselves. We went nine months in the pandemic with no vaccines, okay, and like very little spread amongst. Uh, healthcare providers. And so like, you know, let's all make sure to do the right thing. Um, And once again, we're going to encourage everybody to get vaccinated. This is where we, if you're eligible, absolutely. But let's use a little bit of common sense here and and some humanity, which has been, unfortunately, I feel like lost um, quite, uh, quite a bit during this pandemic. Any, I think, I mean, we hit the major questions here that I, that I could see. Is there any, any parting thoughts for you guys in terms of any, any of the topics that we've covered or that are front of mind when it comes to uh, our, this stage of the pandemic? You know, one thing I want to say about um, this mixture of natural and vaccine-induced immunity and harder-hit areas is that there was something in the United States, uh, a modeling of where we were with seroprevalence before Delta, and I think we were around, it could could have been up to 65%, that's an underestimate, and so that, and that was before Delta, and so I think the one thing to remember about Delta is um, this is not a blessing or anything. It's not a happy thing, but it really did seek out a lot of unvaccinated adults and gave them immunity. And so it's almost like this blanket 
transmissible variant that gives a lot of people immunity. And I do think that we're getting from the epidemic stage to the endemic stage in many countries because of Delta. Delta. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not even in, like you start, it's like, it's, it, it, no one should get sick. So that's like a really important, like always, cause you get blamed if you say that, but that there's natural immunity, but there is. And so I don't think we're going to get another variant that's going to get, you know, that is going to be beyond Delta because it's so transmissible and variants, they, they really, it's not smart of them to make people sicker. Um, it's just not revolutionarily smart. It's smart to make a lot of copies of yourself. So I think that we are approaching endemicity in many places. And the other thing that's interesting, is I, I was reading an article the other day is that like, you know, right now in this stage of the way things are replicating, it makes sense. It's an evolutionary advantage to be much more transmissible, yes. right? Like Delta is just a monster, right? And we thought Alpha was a monster. Yeah. Uh, by the way, interesting fact, and I'm not sure if this is still true, but we've had more Alpha cases in Ontario absolute in terms of like, compared to Delta. In oh, Ontario. Really? I, would I have think you had a lot of immunity going into Delta. I, I think so. Too. I, in, in, in Ontario. Yeah. I would yeah. have never have guessed that actually just based on the hype, but uh, yeah. that's fascinating. But, and not, not to put down Delta obviously is a different piece, but interesting is what, what I was reading. So when you start to get down to endemicity, then the selection pressure on the virus is more, it's now more advantageous to become, to have some, you know, immune evasion. And I think we all agree that it's not a switch. It's going to be like a dimmer and, you know, I, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next couple of years. But I think that uh, um, an honest evaluation of what happened, what we did well, what we didn't do well. And I just, just the idea, like, I think that the, the temperature is quite high among, uh, we had, a, we didn't all agree on everything today. It was a good discussion about that. I think like getting back to that um, with, uh, with, with discussion, because once we start to take the stuff off of Twitter, it'll be, <laughs> it, it'll be better. Yeah, this was a good discussion and people go crazy on Twitter. Uh, Twitter's medieval, man. Like I got to say, like my quality of life directly is <laughs> impacted <laughs> on how active I am on that bad boy. So I, I, I'm now on the like, drop and pop like i'll drop and then leave it i'm not even Run reading away. the comments. you know what i'm saying isaac style, by the way I, isaac is uh you know stay yeah, like, that, stay, think, spray and walk away yeah know? isaac uh yeah we're on a some of us are on a chat group there that i've learned everything about covid on by the way uh just props to those you know who you are guys but uh it's been such a such a great experience the last thing i just want to say if i can is I've said it before, and I, I, this is another thing I feel really passionate about is, uh, you know, how I've seen some of the unvaccinated being treated in hospital and that attitude that we're seeing towards them. And I, you know, it's not a decision that I would want for my family, obviously, or my loved ones. But remember, these people are in a vulnerable situation. They're scared. They regret their decisions, uh, you know. And then us giving them attitude and having this talk about whether we should be treating them the same it's is terrible. terrible. It is It is not. It's like if we take a step back and think about what kind of message and discussion this is all about, it's atrocious. We got in this game to save lives, people. We got in this game to support people and to have that level of of like that lack of compassion in the most vulnerable time to me is disgusting. And uh, we got, we could do better. We we need Absolutely. to do better. There's no Absolutely. excuses for this. And uh, I will 
go to bat anytime for this. Uh, I don't care what people say on social media or whatever. We we're not going to treat you differently based on your vaccine status or any other lifestyle choice you've made, but we'll still encourage you all, all those out there to get vaccinated. So those are my parting words. I got I love this guys. I was, I was, you know, I was just, I said, in between weeks in ICU and I was like, oh man, I'm so gassed. But this rejuvenated me. This gave me hope again, Suman and Monica. It just, it's just something, it was just so great to have you guys on and to talk about these things again. And um, I just want to wholeheartedly thank you for this conversation. And I know it's going to benefit so many uh, Canadians and listeners that are listening. So this is a good thing about social media is I met you both on there. So yes. now I can be your friend later well, Quadro and I have never actually met in person. Yeah, we've we never met in person. Oh, really? We met yeah. on Twitter. Uh, what was it? It was like when we were like in residence, I think. Back in the day, yeah. And we just, we just, we've gotten since, yeah. But we, we, we will be friends. Person, friends. Though, yeah. I'm in Toronto. I'm in Toronto next week, actually. Okay, it's on. Yeah, absolutely. So guys, thank you so much. Those on Twitter, or Twitter, Facebook, and on uh, listening live, thanks so much for listening. Really appreciate you. Take care.